Well, I dropped by to invite you out to dinner. It could be a trap. You could be right. Didn't anyone ever tell you there's one thing you never put in a trap if you're smart, if you value your continued existence, if you have any plans about seeing tomorrow, there's one thing you never, ever put in a trap. Not just a matter of the same country, sir. We're not even in the same universe. Hello and welcome to Wibbly Bobbly Dicey Wicey, another universe where we take characters from other pop culture science fiction fantasy universes, convert them to the Doctor Who Vortex system and see how they would do in the Doctor Who universe. With me today is Michael Nixon of Game of Rassilon podcast fame. That's right, you're stuck with me again. Well, depending on when... Or the first time... Time, man, what is is it? You may be the fresh-faced, youthful, optimistic person... Who's a, who's, a, who's a new broom sweeping clean in the world of wibbly wobbly dicey wicey? <laughs> or you may be you may be the grizzled veteran, the the embittered, I'm one day from retirement podcaster. Ah, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you for the first time. You've gone like grizzled uh, prospector. What are they called? Forty niners. You've got yeah. forty niner. Uh, it's California. It's the gold rush. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> so today. This was uh, Michael's idea. Uh, we are covering John Steed of the Avengers fame. And this is the UK Avengers from the 60s, not the sort of Tony Stark, Captain America people that are popular with the youth these days. Yes, the Avengers Assemble Avengers if you're in the UK. Uh, Marvel's Avengers if you're over here, because everything has to have Marvels on it. Uh, but yes, today we're covering Steed of Steed and Peel. If you're in the U.S., all the comics over here are called Steed and Peel, which is like, that's not, that's not its name. Huh. No. So for those of you who are not cultured, this is the proper Avengers that came first. The real one. Yes. Yeah, um, by, it was then, in the 50s, right, is when the show started. The very, very, very early 60s. Oh, damn my, it's, it's you know, it's like a 70s or 80s thing. It's, it's unit dating. I don't, I don't know when things are. It's. It's post-1776, so I get why you've shut yourself from British culture? Who cares, man? Well, it's interesting that you can use the word culture coming from California. (laughs) Hey, we have yogurt. Get over there. (laughs) It's true. You do have yogurt. Who needs personality when you've got yogurt? In fact, that's what it says on the T-shirt I'm wearing right now. Huh. So, John Steed of the Avengers fame... Let's, uh, let's set the scene, let's give uh, a little bit of history, then we'll go into his stats and skills, and then we will see where he, in our opinions, will fall in the uh, Hooniverse. So, um, uh, Michael, do you want to kick us off with John Steed's background, please? Yes, strap on your bowler hat and get your finest brawly. It's time to talk John Steed. I'm going to apologize in advance if and when I pronounce things wrong. Just blame my Yankee upbringing. Uh, so, I'd also like to apologize just uh, for our listeners. Bowler hats do not have straps. It's important that you know that. Well, you, okay. Place your bowler hat gingerly upon your brow uh, and prepare yourself for Major the Honorable John Wickham Gascoigne Baronsford Steed, MCOM, also known as John Steed. He's a secret agent working for an unnamed branch of British intelligence that I believe we call the Ministry. Ooh. Uh, later. Uh, he was teamed with a variety of partners, including Dr. David Keel, Venus Smith, Dr. Martin King, Kathy Gale, Emma Peel, Tara King, Lady Diana Forbes, Blakeney, Purdy, and Mike Gambit. So Steed was 
born, as Michael so correctly described, as John Wickham Gascoigne Beresford Steed yes. sometime before <laughs> 1922. Uh, he's the sign of a noble family. He went to Eton, where he once got into a fight with a school bully, James Bond. Huh. And technically, whilst that's James Bond fans may argue, it is supposed to be that James Bond. He was eventually expelled, the same way Patrick Mooney, the actor who played him, was. Yes, he got into a see, fight with Sean Connery, of course. Well, uh, as as we all know, uh, he uh, he taught Sean Connery how to uh, hurt people. Yes. Moving swiftly on, Steed's best friend was Mark Crayford, who later followed him into British intelligence. However, Crayford was always secretly jealous of Steed and later defected to the Soviet Union and attempted to destroy Steed and his legacy. He was a veteran of World War II, a distinguished veteran, no doubt. And this is the same as Patrick McNee. They obviously used a lot of Patrick McNee's background in Steed's makeup, just mm. tweaking bits here and there. Um, and where their, where their history, their military history diverges is that John Steed went to train with the Coldstream Guards, who are a very distinguished branch of the British military, or uh, you know, a section of the British military, uh, and then transferred to the Intelligence Corps. He spent the early part of his World War II service posted at the RAF camp 472 Hamlin, which was a jumping off point for British spies on the continent. He also received the Military Cross for single-handedly taking a German machine gun post and then left the British Army to join what was initially, as Michael said, an unnamed branch of the British intelligence, which would later get the moniker the Ministry in 1945, where Steed achieved the rank of Major. Uh, Steed maintained a modest Muse flat in London during the 1960s, first at five Westminster Muse, later at three Stable Muse, which uh, sounds more stable, uh, and drove a variety of elaborate old-fashioned cars, including a Rolls-Royce and several different models of Bentley, uh, one of which he calls Fido. In one episode, also, he drives a... Uh, oh, wait, no. In one episode, also, a Vauxhall 3098 can be seen. Um, it's interesting that, that they mention a Bentley because the, the literary James Bond preferred Bentleys, if I remember correctly. Um, a, de- a definite nod. I'm sure that's a nod. Yes. Uh, anyway, by the New Avengers, which is not to be confused with Brian Michael Bendis's run, New Avengers, uh, Steed had moved out to the country to a manor house known as Steed's Stud. Not a good name. It's no Skyfall. Um, but there were he was really driving not. vintage cars, but he was mostly in contemporary Jags instead, which is good choice. I like it. Um, there are no further details regarding his family, although he does refer to having a 13-year-old nephew in Legacy of Death, which I guess would make him, like, 70 now. I guess so. Obviously, the New Avengers was set in the 70s, so it had a very different vibe. Um, the flares were slightly more flared, etc. Yeah, more of a Euro so, vibe. <laughs> on to Steed um, himself. On to Steed himself. Hop into the attributes. Let's go. So, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, we'll start with an, an awareness of four, which, uh, as, as I mentioned in a previous episode, uh, if you look up the third Doctor era brigadier, um, that he's flat fours across the board on attributes, so I always like to compare uh, that. Um, so yeah, Steed's got sort of human awareness. He's, you know, above average, if I remember correctly. Um, this awareness would also put him in line with the third Doctor. Uh, which is good for her, a spy. He he knows what he's doing, what his surroundings are. Uh, yeah, I think I think from now on we should refer to uh, what you're doing as the brigadier baseline. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't uh, it just yeah. like it's a great? Uh, it's cool that that sheet is flat fours because he's such a 
I don't know, standout character. He's such a, you know, everybody knows the Brig. Exactly. Um, moving on to coordination. We've given him a coordination of three. Again, very good. Um, uh, nothing superhuman going on there, but that puts him at the same level as a Telos Cyberman, if you want a baseline reference. But John Steed was did have a very good hand-to-eye coordination for the various things that we'll come on to. So, yeah, so three. Skilled, very good, but nothing crazy. Yeah, average person. Yeah, you can spot hidden clues. That's what the book says. I like that. Um, on to ingenuity. Uh, we've given him an ingenuity of four, which is above average again. That puts him on the level of, say, like a Captain Jack. Um, he's, you know, he's clever, of course. He's a spy. He's He can wear a bowler hat in a room, and people don't laugh at him. Like, he's, he's you know, very ingenious. I resent the implication that anyone would laugh at someone wearing a bowler hat, but we'll, we'll move on. Um... <laughs> I had to uh, do it. I'm an American. Yes, well, you think bowler hats have straps, dear boy. So I, Exactly. I have no idea what I'm talking about on the subject. Uh, so, um, presence. Uh, presence of five. And again, when John Steve walks into a room, you notice him. And you don't laugh at him. And his stylish bowler hat and his immaculate fashion sense. Um, the contrast collar is genius. He's, he's got a look. He's, he really has a strong look. And let's not forget, he's a spy. So he has to be able to uh, make an impression when he wants to, when that suits the role. And uh, let's not forget, he was a major in the army. As we said a moment ago, he single-handedly took a German machine gun. Now, that's obviously courage. But that kind of thing adds to his presence, adds to his legend. So definitely a presence of five. He's high, uh, one of his high stats, and that puts his presence roughly equal to the third Doctor, who, again, you know, makes an impression visually, just before you even know his personality, he's there. Yeah, draws the eye, absolutely. Uh, for Resolve, we've given him a five, which matches up with Harry Sullivan. Uh, according to the handbook, that <laughs> is, again, uh, determined and resolute at the peak of personal discipline and control. Which, you know, if you know your Harry Sullivan, uh, that guy had to withstand the various jabs and barbs of the Fourth Doctor. Uh, very uh, resolute, very resolved, uh, very strong of personality. And I, I think that definitely matches uh, Mr. Steed here. Absolutely, absolutely. The fact that, uh, yeah, uh, the, the fact that everything he went through in his life and the things he had to endure and then... Like, after World War II, what does he do? He throws himself back into the fire by joining military intelligence and going out and risking his life. That's that's someone with resolve. Yeah, I want more weirder cases, definitely. Uh, and rounding off, we have strength of three. Again, slightly above average. He's as strong as the 11th Doctor, if you want a baseline, which is wiry, I suppose. It's like an average John person, C- right? Yeah, yeah John C. got into fights. He got into fisticuffs. But he was very rarely... He wasn't a stitch that Jimmy, Newcastle brown bottle in the face kind of a fighter. He was a very elegant, refined fighter. And so, strength of three, uh, average, but exactly what you need for John Steed. Agility. Yeah, I think that's more his move than punching. Exactly. Certainly. Um, so, we'll just run through the other bits. Story points of 12. We've got him as a PC because he is, at the end of the day, a human being. Mm-hmm. Slightly exceptional, but a human being. Tech level five, which is... Late 20th, early 21st century Earth, early spacefaring. Avengers heyday was the 60s when the space race was picking up. So this is exactly right. Um, Yeah, he's an Earth human from the 20th century. So 
uh, there you go. So let's move on to skills. Certainly. Uh, for athletics, uh, he's got a two, which is, you know, again, like uh, above average, kind of good human doing stuff, running around. But he's not, you know, he's not going to jump over a fence. He's not Captain America. He's he's John Steed. Exactly. Um, convince of four. Well, he's very charismatic. He's got the presence of five to go along with this. He talks his way out of a lot of situations and his banter is top notch and that comes from convince he can he can talk you into doing things and talk his way out of trouble as he often did because let's be honest in the avengers they were usually outmanned and outgunned by the villains so necessary skill to have yeah he was always good at sort of either talking his way into or out of trouble uh so that i think that checks out uh for uh craft uh he's got a two which is again like he's not you know he's not going to cobble together like a gadget to save the day it's not really what he does but i think he can pick a lock you know what i mean yeah absolutely he knows how to put put a fuse in something that kind of a thing you know yes yes if there's like a bomb he could probably yeah he could pull out the right wire that sort of thing definitely um and then for fighting he's got a oh i just jumped on that sorry no that's fine you were in a flow state go for it i was excited yeah uh, for fighting he's got a three uh, with an area of expertise in fencing because of course it's john steed um he's he's good at the fighting particularly with a sword but again i don't think he's he's not going to knock anybody out with one punch he's not batman no but but like i said we're elegant and refined a gentleman's fighter yeah and so that sense fencing I'm not going to jump on the fact that an American got excited when we got to the violent part of the stats. I'm going to go past I was that. excited for a, a, a more elegant uh, uh, fighting than usual. But yeah, I, I, I mean, come on. I like a good... I like some frister curves. Um. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to keep going? Yeah, I'll just keep rolling on this, absolutely. Just, just keep going, keep going. Um, so yeah, knowledge of three, again, uh, definitely above average, particularly an area of expertise in intelligence and intelligence matters. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that perfectly suits steed he's he's smarter than the average bear um yeah uh for marksman uh, he's got a two uh i i don't remember steed particularly doing a lot of shooting but when he did it i remember being quite good so this checks out yeah he was in the military so he needs to know which end of a gun so yeah you know i mean if, if you took that 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 uh, german post single-handedly i don't think he like did a lot of kicking you know there was some no, shooting no. involved but maybe a little kicking too. That'd be pretty cool. Well, we don't know. You know what? Mist of history. Yeah, Mist we'll, of history. We'll get there in the story pitches, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, medicine of one. Uh, again, sort of basic medical training that he would have gotten in the military. But he's not He's not Dr. John Steed. He's Major the Honorable John Steed. Uh, for science, he's got a two. Uh, I think this goes along with the sort of higher tech level of five because while he was in the the '60s era, they were fighting you know robot guys and super science and kind of crazy James Bondy super spy sort of stuff. So the science I think would be higher than average, but not. If, if John Steed walked into a TARDIS, I don't think he would get it. He would think it was like a hall of mirrors, you know. Well, there was an episode called "The House That Jack Built." where they get caught in a house that seemingly loops in on itself. So he probably would think it was a trap. So that fits. Well, there you are. Yeah. This is all just some ruse. He'd, yeah. He'd, he'd yell at it. Uh, subterpuge, uh, sorry. Subterpuge. Uh, subterfuge of three, uh, because John Steed is a spy. And if your subterfuge is low, you will die. 
yeah, but unfortunately his subterfuge skill is in the toilet. It's terrible. We we couldn't even register it as a as an integer variable because subterfuge you don't go to John C. Yeah, he's too classy. It's not really he's his thing. Yeah, yeah his if thing. you're talking about like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they'd be pretty high. They live in a sewer. Uh, yeah. But subterfuge, uh, not so much. Uh, survival of two. Uh, again, uh, Steed has that that military survival training. He could rough it in the woods. I don't think he necessarily needs to, but uh, yeah, he knows he knows his way around surviving. It's it's John Steed. Uh, the next we give him a tech of two. Again, if the car breaks down, he can repair it, but he's not going to like build a microwave radio out of transistors. And he's not MacGyver. He's John Steed. Um, similarly for the vehicle handling, that would be a transport of three. The guy can drive. He can fly. He can, you know, deal with all sorts of various vintage vehicles uh, and also crazy super science stuff. So yeah, he can drive he can fly i imagine he's good on a boat i don't remember man my memory of adventures is bad isn't it he has he it's a definitely a good thing to admit when you're doing a role-playing episode on the character that you don't remember anything about them uh, um, do more research this is why i trust you you're the so, you're the role-playing genius over here i'm i'm just some uh yankee heel Oh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize we had a bad guy, good guy dynamic. Are we good cop, bad cop? Kind of a bad. Good, Increasingly, yeah. it feels that. No, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks. He has the air of someone who sail, can sail. He absolutely has that. Absolutely. Air. So, um, and there are episodes where they do go on board boats and what have you. So, it's been so long since I watched the show. Since, since I was a kid, you know. I got to get that brick what, box mean, subscription. Uh, yes, I think that's a good idea. Um, uh, and so we come on to traits now. Um, do you want to handle this as well? or, or Yeah, I'm happy to, to jump in on these. Uh, I think John Steed is certainly attractive, so we've given him the attractive trait. He's got that presence of five, that, that, uh, that obvious persona when he enters the room. So he's certainly attractive. He makes that bowler hat look good. Um, he's got the adversary trait, which would involve various adversaries that I'm sure... Ryan will definitely not quiz me on the particulars of, and instead offer some examples now. Well, the um, uh, you made it sound like it was going to be a flashback. Uh, obviously, the <laughs> obviously you had uh, the various different uh, spies from the Soviet Union were a big deal. Um, they were numerous. You had the, the sort of Bond-esque villain of the week. Um, who were like, you know, just various uh, factions who had their super gadgets and what have you. And of course, the Cybernauts, which was their Classic. trippy, sort of uh, robotic, cybernetic enemies that were my favourites. But then that's probably because I'm a Doctor Who fan. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, I yes. love the Cybernauts. They looked so cool. And so And yes, and so, again, n- numerous more, but uh, that's a good baseline. Um, uh, 60s pop culture psychedelia played a big part in this show, so... It has a very 66 Batman feel. Well, there I mean, was actually uh, there was actually a comic, just a sort of, not segue, but uh, tangent. There was a comic written where Steed and Mrs. Peel teamed up with 66 Batman and the Joker, somebody else who I can't remember right now, and the Cybernauts all teamed up to face them. And it was absolutely brilliant and i recommend heavenly. it to anyone if you can find it yeah it's yeah really good fun and, 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 and comics algae 
and neither, neither sets of protagonists lost their vibe in the comic. It was a really good meshing of the two of them. Of course, yeah, I think they would definitely... Yeah, that's, a, that's why I, I dig that pairing, because it's a great... Uh, they have similar kind of high camp, strange kind of cool vibe. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, we get, uh, uh, the next trait uh, is a Major a Brave, because obviously he is majorly brave, uh, not just a regular brave. Um, you know, steadfast... Etc. Uh, similarly, you know, the major code of conduct. John Steed's a good guy. He's not, you know, he's not going to hurt women or children or anything like that in particular. You know, he's he's an honorable. Uh, it literally has the honorable in his name. He's major the honorable John Steed. So he's going to be majorly the honorable. That that really demonstrates how American you are. The fact that you think that just because someone in British nobility has the honourable before them, they must be honourable. No, I don't think that at all. I'm an American. The whole system must be torched to the ground, and we should, you know, destroy all of it. But you know, for the sake of a joke, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it up. <laughs> Burn it all! Uh, <laughs> and, and so natu- naturally, as as your adversary in this podcast, I had to trample all over that joke. So yes, you royal. T. Anyway, um, uh, the next trait that I clearly do not share is charming. Uh, John Steed is a very charming guy. Um, he's got the hat. I mean, come on, uh, friends. I, I think it's. I think just quickly with with charming, <laughs> it's important to. It's important to. Uh, just leave his hat alone. Okay, it's a work of art. It's beautiful. It's a, I love it. But it's you it's know a, it's be clearly become the it, running gag. It's a national treasure. Charming in this instance, John Steed. It's very important to remember John Steed is not James Bond. He is not a Lothario. He doesn't sort of sleep with women to get out of trouble or get information from them. He's he is literally charming. He's just very very likable and has a silver tongue. Yeah, he's just, it's important more, to remember that. So, I, I mean, this is a compliment too, and it doesn't. It won't sound like it, but like he's more effete in like a good way, which is very oh, strange. absolutely. You don't hear that a lot, he, but he he's dandy esque. He's right on the cusp of being a dandy, but with, but not quite. Yeah, he's certainly yeah. He's closer to the third Doctor end of the scale than the James Bond. He's he's kind of a good middle between those two, really. Hmm. Uh, so friends, of course, major uh, would be, uh, and then you know another parenthesis, their partner. Um, John Cena has had various partners over the years, as we noted, and uh, he's always been very loyal to all of them. So it's definitely a major trait. Uh, is is keeping those friends close and enemies far away from them. Um, the next trait would be indomitable. Uh, obviously, you know, if, if if you've been hearing what we've been describing with John Steed, he's definitely an indomitable guy. Um, similarly, he's very lucky. Uh, if you're rolling snake eyes, you don't have to worry about it with John Steed. Um, he tends to, you know, talk his way out of the situation or get out of the the big danger, defuse the bomb before it hits one. Um, logic a cybernaut to blow its brain up, you know that kind of thing. He's he he gets out of the the scrape. That's really hmm. the the part of the charm of Steed. Uh, the next trait would be obligation, uh, major to the ministry. Uh, once you join intelligence, it is very very hard to leave. Uh, usually, you do it in a bag. So obviously, he has a pretty big obligation to his uh, handlers. Uh, quick reflexes is the next trait. Uh, clearly, um, he's he's agile, as we've said uh, numerous times. He's quick. He's quick-witted. So having quick reflexes is uh, definitely part of it. Um, I think if I were playing Steed, I would tend to use those quick reflexes for 
talking rather than fighting or you know doing but uh it's in the eye of the beholder i mean very much his quick reflexes this is not him somersaulting or making bold physical movements john steed's quick reflexes are very gentlemanly in that let's mm-hmm. let's say someone throws a knife at him or shoots at him he will move the bare minimum to one side and dodge it that way he, he's not he's not um going to be leaping over boxes he'll just move the bare minimum and like you know maybe dab his forehead with a with his with a handkerchief he it's that kind of quick reflexes yeah very magiciany kind of vibe hmm. very performative you know it's very it's very cool um the next trait is tough uh despite all the sort of gentlemanly effeteness we were talking about uh clearly uh, john steed is a very tough guy uh, at his core um and uh finally uh, he's got voice of authority uh again you know if if steed enters a room you're paying attention if he says something i think characters are going to hear it uh so the voice of authority is sort of the perfect trait from the game system to have on there and again another very kind of doctorly trait and also just to sort of supplement uh as as uh, michael has pointed out several times but let's not let that ruin the fun for you uh steed has a bowler hat it's magnificent. I love that it. That he's famous for. Uh, it's a bespoke hat. It's a Pierre Cardin. Um, and we've also put the trading card on the blog for you. Uh, but essentially, it's armoured. It's nigh bulletproof. So it's five points of damage reduction. He has also used it as a club and once or twice thrown it. So it's it's on there just for, you know, for, for a giggle for you to use. Um, also, Steed has a, a brolly. Well, that's an umbrella. Uh that's is a major gadget for him. Um, the reason for this is it has several technological edges. In the Avengers, they very rarely used gadgets. This was really Steed's only gadget. Um, it's got a tape recorder built in and a camera represented by the trait scan. It also has the trait distinctive. It has something called a wangy handle, um, which well, when you see it, you'll recognize it. It's quite distinctive. Um, and Seed likes to make an impression with everything he wears. Uh, it also has a sword built into it, into the handle, so you can pull it out. Um, this is standard sword stat, strength plus four. Again, Pierre Cardin, made by the, for the Ministry, so you can't buy it off the shop, so it's rare. Uh, but those are those are going to be in there, accompanying the trading card of the main uh, person himself. So now we've we've covered the the statistical observance of uh, steed john steed uh, let's see where we think he would fit best in the hooniverse so uh, we're going to reverse things again this week by tackling unit and tortured first as they are the resident intelligent services in the doctor universe so let's let's cover unit first uh, i mean i think john steed is an almost perfect fit for unit in the dog two universe. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean, I think unit is, it's like the perfect opportunity to do like infinite crisis of spies. You know, you have unit in there, you've got steed in there and peel and you just, you get everybody together from all the, the British sixties TV shows uh, and have them fight the Cybermen slash Cybernauts or something. I, yeah. It, it I, just, I, it's like a perfect opportunity to throw everything together. And, and I just, I, uh, I can really apps well there's no reason why the ministry can't be a branch of unit uh for one thing and secondly 
can you not just say, I, I don't know why, but I just really see the Brigadier and John Steed having gone to school together. I mean, I don't think the Brigadier went to Eton, but, you know, the, maybe military training during World War II, because they were clearly in World War II together. I think they would be a very good fit. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, old pals. Yeah. yeah John Steed comes to a, a, one of those unit parties. Or maybe it's like the, the party from the, the Five Doctors the retirement party and Steed shows up and the second doctor's there and just mayhem ensues. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see if it is the second doctor, and we'll come on to that in more detail, but I just feel like he would give him fashion tips. Yes. You yeah. Know? It's all John Steed's fault. The third doctor is the way he exactly. is. Exactly. I, I like that a lot. Exactly. Yeah. You read my mind there. He, he whispers to the second doctor that lodges in his brain. And when he becomes the third doctor, he's like, you know, that John Steed chap. Now I'm stuck in England. He, he had a point. He had a point. I'm going to go visit his tailor. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Torchwood. I think... Now, my gut instinct is, and I, I don't know if this is being unfair to John Steed, but I could see John Steed being part of Torchwood 1 when Torchwood was a bit more... Um, how to put it? A bit, a bit less pleasant, a bit less generally well-disposed towards aliens, shall we say. The, the Torchwood that we see in Army of Ghosts at the end of season two. I can see John Steed being part of that. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know if he'd really be into the whole corporate vibe of that Torchwood, though. Uh, I honestly would see it as like a, you know, like a proper season one, season two episode where they're dealing with some weird alien or, again, it'd probably be, you know, replace Cyberwoman with Cybernaut. And they're dealing with some kind of cyber thing. So Captain Jack is like, I've got a... I know a guy who might be able to help us with this. And you pull out, like, you know, John Steed out of retirement. See, now, White-haired John Steed dusts off the bowler for one last case. But, um, well, two things. One, I really like the idea of that. But the thing is, I was thinking was he'd be retired from Torchwood 1. And two, I resent the implication mm. that John Steed would ever let his bowler hat get dusty. But other than that, I'm completely with you on that. Okay, he idea. opens up like a... It's like a shadow box. He's got things. Go. He brushes off the shadow box and he opens it, and there's the pristine, undusty hat. There you go. And he now takes that out. And now like, Britain and the US don't have to go to war. Very good. It's perfect. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, the idea of him being, you know, tortured as was coming out of retirement, I think is a really good idea. I can't see. I don't really picture John Steed as a sort of young man working with the sort of modern iteration of. Torchwood, you know, if you sort of retcon John Steed's past, so he was born several decades later. I don't really seem fitting in too well with Captain Jack's yeah. Torchwood, to be completely honest with you. And I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't want to retcon. I don't want to age up John Steed either. I think he's great as like a 60s character you go visit or a 70s character you go visit or, you know, a, a, a post-retirement character you go visit. Because yeah. when we get to the Seventh Doctor era, you know, I think like steed old brig ace that's good stuff you're having fun with that I, I, strange i'd have no problem doing like an adam adamant with him having him be frozen in time somehow so he's still young in the modern age or having some alien beam youth him as long as you kept if you austin powers him, yeah, that'd be funny uh, i like that exactly as long as you kept old man steed's brain that's what you need you need that personality and having the culture clash i think would work really well because he's from a well he was a refined man not necessarily from a refined age but he was a refined man and the idea of putting him into the sort of pop culture milieu of you know modern society I think that would really work very well 
Yeah, yeah. For me, I'd want to, I'd want to keep him as 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 human as possible. Like keep all the alien laser beams away from him. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the aging, the de aging rays, all that stuff. I just like keeping him as classic as possible um, to to interact with the weirdness of the Who world. I think it's like the really clearly that's the vibe I dig. I mean, the thing is. Oh, you need to keep the fact that he's a 60s man. Like, he's he's in his... I don't know if prime's the right word. You know, I think in his prime in the 60s. You know, at yeah. his peak. And the thing is, if you transplant him from the 60s to... It kind of... It would almost be like a reverse Austin Powers because if you took John Steed from the 60s who dealt with all the alien stuff and what have you and put him in modern, in modern age who where it's all much more overt, he would be the opposite of a fish out of water. It'd be like, this is what I was used to and had to keep secret, but now it's open. I can operate almost with impunity because I don't need to hide anything anymore because everyone knows about Cybermen and Daleks because you've been invaded so many times. So my job's so much easier. This is wonderful. And almost it would be like a, a second heyday or a second golden age for him. Yeah. If, if you pulled him out of time, he'd be a great a Sarah Jane Adventures character that would, be, that would be wonderful that would be really really you know I, I keep sneaking that spinoff into the spinoff convos because I, I really love how that show really tended to the classic era of the show while also being a big introduction for kids I think that's like it's a sweet spot that I, I don't think who has uh, it, when it was branching out at the time I think it was, it was a really cool sweet spot for them to have um, so yeah I, I and Steed and Sarah Jane is like Come on, that'd be great. So, okay, well, let's do Sarah. Well, okay, let, let's f- finish the spin-offs. Let's do Sarah Jane then. So, obviously, yeah. as you said, he would be a really, really good fit because he doesn't swear, he's not sexual, he's a great action adventure mm-hmm. guy, and I think he pulls the sword out and like Clyde's going to be like, I got to get one. You know, it's absolutely. It's, I think he'd have great dynamics with all the kids. Um, and like you say, he's family friendly. Yeah. I, like he's not going to be like, oh, I hate children. Like, I don't think John C. has a problem with kids. No, no. I, I, I think what would be, I mean, you could even just say, you know, uh, let's say you're, if you're doing the taken out of time scenario, then, it, you know, you could even segue in with like his great grandchild is with them or alternatively, he's an old man, he's the old man, John Steed, and he's got his a, a great grandchild there so you you can even use the family uh, segue and what what I think is screaming to be written is they think he's old fashioned and out of date and they nickname they call him grandpa and all that stuff but he wins them around and they realise how cool he is by the end just by John Steed being John Steed yeah he's classic <laughs> yeah I think yeah absolutely I think he'd definitely win them over because he's he's so iconic yeah absolutely uh, and I think and and let's be honest if if we have John Steed knowing the Brigadier that means he knows Sarah Jane from years ago I would even put you know not to sort of write a whole episode but I would even have Sarah Jane has got a little bit of a crush on John Steed and the kids don't get it to start with and then they do and then you have the Rani at the end saying I get I get why you fancy him now as a sort of oh that'd be true oh yeah and then like before he leaves he gives her a little smooch on the uh, Sarah a little smooch on the cheek yeah exactly heads off and you know she's all blushy and it's It'd just be such a wonderful... Yeah, I can see it. Like, it all... It, it emerges fully formed. Oh, I want that to be a Christmas special now. I want, yes. I want that to be a Christmas oh. special. Christmas with Steed. That'd yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. A very Steed Christmas. Yeah, Something exactly. Like that. Exactly. 
So, um, I mean, do you want to cover class? I know it's barely a spin-off. But... <laughs> I mean, the funny, I mean, uh, if we're doing Old Steed, like, Old Steed in disguise as a, a school governor or something, trying to figure out why all the teachers and staff keep vanishing and bumping into, like, Mrs. Quill would be very funny. Oh, that, would be, be that would be good. Um, that would be really good. He, like, Steed's retired, and he does a brigadier. He becomes the new headmaster of that school, of John Col- Oh, of, perfect. Of, yeah, he takes over for Ian. Yes, yeah. because he's told, oh, it's an unusual place. And, like, John Steed's like, well, I could do it for some excitement. I've been retired for a while. Um, I mean, I can handle... Weird, I can handle. How strange could it be? And then, you know, a weeping angel shows up, and he's like, okay, pretty weird. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful weeping angel because john steed is so cool under pressure the idea of him not blinking it's like i face down a german machine gun nest single-handedly i do not blink oh yeah they've met their match there you go that's good i don't know how you could possibly show a weeping angel looking scared and running away but just you know so okay well we have managed to come up with a reasonably good uh hypothetical class scenario there i mean you could make him a semi-recurring character even the way we've we've placed him there i think he i think he would have been a great choice to be honest if it had kept yeah, going. That, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a more versatile show than people give yeah. it credit for. And that, of course, leads to various cameos by his various partners for various things. Let's be honest, Mrs. Quill and Mrs. Emma Peel teaming up. I know that's a slut. Amazing. That, but that would be chef's kiss. It really would, I think. I mean, a parent-teacher conference with Purdy would be a dream. That would be good. Um, uh, once you open up the Sarah Jane thing, like like Joe Jones, Joe Grant, you know, and and... All those other great unit characters, Liz Shaw, obviously, like it just you get everybody, get all get all the gals together for like a Sarah Jane potluck. I want I want to see that. What's the Sarah Jane potluck with like Emma Peel and Tara King and you know, Kathy Gale pops back? It's just every you know get everybody. If we're in the realm of of fantasy imagination, you know, I want to get get them all. I mean, what's strange is we've come up with two pretty damn good a uh, Sarah Jane adventure crossover and a class crossover and yet you could never have Sarah Jane Adventures and class crossover it just wouldn't it wouldn't work it'd be like chalk be and oil, oil and water yeah. alright so um, right, that is definitely the the, uh, the spin-offs uh, covered we're not doing Faction Paradox forget that yeah, it's, um, they did it I, every time it's Faction Paradox they, like yeah, Faction them, Paradox did it I solved it for you <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they're the ones who set up these episodes they probably plotted for us to come up with those ideas in the first place yeah they have somehow, some so. weird statue yeah. of a horse and they're like we must move the steed it's this whole god faction paradox whatever there's a whole thing so let's move on to the doctors proper the first doctor william hartnell i mean they're from the same era it would be the interesting same... I-, I can see steed suspecting the first doctor of being like the mad scientist yeah i feel like john steed would initially have the instinct i must stop this guy yeah, he's got a, like a case of mistaken identity would be cool with them. Yeah. You know, who's this old man who's kidnapping school teachers? I have to stop him. You must, in- Steed, your mission is to investigate this crazy old man who apparently lives in a junkyard. Yes. Oh, like and a so- pre-unearthly child. Yeah. Steed and Peel and the first doctor. Ah, and that is the first time John Steed has to impersonate a teacher, which gives him the idea later on. You know that school I did in that really early case where I investigated that crazy scientist? They need a new headmaster. And thus, the circle is complete. He resumes his cover. Perfect. For the second Doctor, I would, like, let's do a prequel to the Enemy of the World. With, like, Salamander's dad, who also looks like Patrick Troughton. And just go buck wild. He's building Cybermen that are also Cybernauts. Uh, Just, yeah, have fun. Exactly. I mean, you could also... 
depending on how much you want to fudge the timelines, have John Steed. If you want to literally put John Steed in an episode, you could put him into Enemy of the World and have him be one of the resistance. Oh yeah, yeah. You could have like yeah. That'd be another. That'd be a good first opportunity for like older Steed, if I remember right. Yeah. I just feel like Mrs. Emma Peel and Zoe were very similar in appearance. And there's there's got to be something there you can do, even if it's just even if it's just John Steed offering her a job with the Ministry. There's something there I feel with the jumpsuit thing and that go go energy. You yeah, know? I mean, plus Zoe's from the future. She could be like, oh, Emma Peel is my great grandmother. You could drop that in, you know. I, I, you could absolutely. I got yeah. this jumpsuit from my great grandmother. Yeah. It was one of her favorites. Like you could just have all kinds of weird fun with that. That would be such a nice tag to have. A little bit of a culture clash between John Steed and. Jamie. Oh, that, yeah, that'd be very Scotsman. funny. I mean, that's yeah. your that's your quintessential like English fop versus Scottish Scott. Uh, it'd be an amazing culture clash thing, like you were saying. Yeah, the second Doctor having to stop them from sword fighting each other all the time. Well, yeah, because like I said, both trained swordsmen, so that, that would work really well. Plus, of course, let's not forget that we could have uh, not to sort of play on the cliche, but Zoe might take a shine to John Steed and threaten to leave the TARDIS and Jamie gets jealous. There's this sort of baseline interaction and the second Doctor trying to... Do we have Jamie fighting our, our uh, Another Universe guest stars quite a lot in this? I feel like slight sense of deja vu that we've set Jamie up as this thug who attacks any other male that enters the TARDIS. Well, he's very protective. I, I don't necessarily, you know, in Jamie's defense, uh, he is from a, an earlier time um, and he's... I think he's innately more suspicious of of new people um especially if that new person wants to steal zoe uh but also at the same time i could see jamie and john steed drinking each other under the table Mm. um Mm. which could be a whole other dimension of both characters that's true like jamie finally having a guy to talk sword stuff with well yeah they maybe maybe they initially don't like each other and then jamie takes a shine to him because he's like that's a great sword like they can you know they can be pals. And of course, you know, they learn from each other, you know, and Jamie learns not all English people are evil and he learns that wearing a kilt doesn't make you weird. And <laughs> Jamie finally meets an English person he likes. I like that a lot. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're not all so bad. Well, that would be, you know what, thinking about it, if you said it early in the second Doctor's reign when he's just picked up Jamie and Jamie's still learning about the future and time travel and what have you, and he, his default setting is hate English people. Then he meets John Steed and realizes, oh, actually, they're not all that bad because John Steed is a gentleman's gentleman, and he and he helps soothe the savage uh, beast a little bit. You know, he helps the Doctor with that. <laughs> he he civilizes him slightly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. This is not me being a cultural barbarian. I'm not saying that Jamie was well, know, again. Jamie's from like the 1700s. It's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not so it's unreasonable. Yeah, as we mentioned earlier, the Steed gives some handy fashion tips to the Second Doctor that he learns in turn. And when he becomes the third Doctor, he remembers. So we come on to the third Doctor. Now, do John Steed and the third Doctor get on? Or is it two tigers on a hill? Are they so similar they hate each other? I think they're at the same country club together. I think they play golf on the weekends. I think they're pals. I think it'd be great if, like, they're, they tinker on classic cars together. They seem like weekend buddies to me. Oh, here's, you know? here's the thing. Okay, John Steed obviously knows Brigadier and knows Unit and everything and they're friends. John Steed's taking in his car to his Bentley or what have you to, you know, the the spy shop the, the where they repair the cars and put all the latest gadgets in. And the third Doctor is there and he's like, you know, I need a conveyance to blend in with this century. 
and John Steed says, oh, okay, what are you interested in? I happen to know a person. And John Steed introduces him to Bessie before he jazzes it up. And they both, you know, they have an adventure. Here we go. They have an adventure where they have to procure, they're dealing with the Cybernauts. And the third Doctor and John Steed helps him acquire leftover Cybernaut parts that he puts into Bessie that helps make Bessie the funky sci-fi car that it is. And they bond over their love of classical cars and the finer things in life. And there you go. And that's how they bond and meet through cars and champagne. If I remember right, the third Doctor gets Bessie from the hospital on his first adventure. So the only change I would make is that Steed and the Third Doctor have a rollicking adventure against the Cybernauts and then fly away together in the Who-Mobile. And it's the secret origin of the Who-Mobile. Okay. Oh, I was just thinking more... Yeah, no, I, I, that makes sense. Because I was just thinking, the Third Doctor steals the car but thinks, look, this is just a car. It only opens... It's, it's just operates. a normal car. Yeah, I yeah. I also would like adventures in the spy garage. Yeah, so they take he takes to the spy garage... Looks at units, te- equipment. Dominic Toretto just- from Fast and the Furious is there and is like, yeah, I'm going to put guns in it and a wrench. And you're like, all right, cool, cool. And of course, the uh, foundation for uh, law and government from Knight Rider are there. Yes. So um, they're there as well, they're early prototype cars. And so they're having this big meet and the third doctor's like, this equipment is rubbish. I can't build anything. Knight Industries 2000, no way. So there you go. And Faction Paradox did it, obviously. Yeah, they, they did it. Yeah, they invented cars. And then the Cybernauts... And there you go. There's your crossover adventure. The Cybernauts and the Cybermen. There's some leftover Cybermen from the invasion from Patrick Troughton's era. They team up with the Cybernauts and they're going to betray each other. And then Steed and the Third Doctor team up to defeat them. And with the leftover parts, when they destroy them, the Third Doctor gathers up all the refuse bits of advanced technology, puts it into Bessie, and that makes Bessie the supercar that we know she ends up being and uses the bits to make the Hummerbill. There you go. Perfect. BBC, if you are listening, uh, that's copyright. Uh, can we copyright something that someone else is copyright? No. Just don't do it. Right? No, we <laughs> we, believe we me, if I, I would if I could. <laughs> but look, look at the ideas we're coming up with. They only finish, one of call us me. Is, You've got the Avengers. You've got Doctor Who. And only one of us is uh, currently high as a kite. So I'm, see if you can guess which one. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> at sea level, you mean? Um, for the fourth Doctor, I think it would be another... That'd be like the last of the unit adventures. I think that first couple of fourth doctor stories where he's still kind of earthbound. Um, you could slip in one more steed adventure. Unless you sort of said it in the new Avengers period, a bit later on in the seventies where it's at steed stud again, terrible name, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. That'd be, maybe that's uh Harry's last adventure as he leaves to join the new, new Avengers. Now that would be a really nice touch. If you had Harry Sullivan, joining the new avengers that'll be a lovely farewell like you know he um i think he'd blend right in with that team right what, what about this right the third doctor obviously remembers steed from the time they beat the cybernauts and the cybermen together and he, he helped him build bessie and so by the time the fourth doctor comes around when he drops off harry sullivan he has sent a letter years ago to john steed to say look my friend's going to be a bit, a bit of a loose end in you know, in 1977, 76, whatever year it was, help him out because he's going to be a little bit lost, but he's a great guy and he wants to serve mankind. And so he drops him off. And in that episode where he drops off uh, Terror of the Zygons, where as soon as the fourth doctor leaves, Harry gets a note in the post or a messenger saying, come to Steed Stud Farm. No, it's not a stud farm. 
Come to stay. There's just a just car. Come, come there's a car waiting for him with a with a, somebody holding a card that says Harry Sullivan and it's Mike Gambit. Like, there you go. That thank you. That's much better because I don't want to say Steed Stud anymore. Who does? Um, yeah, and Ooh. there you go. And so terrible name. And so Harry, is a is a bad name. And so Harry Sullivan, you know, goes from I feel a bit sad to I've made a new, I'm going to make a new best friend because you know that Harry and John Steed and Gambit probably are going to get on and Harry and Purdy potential romance there even and I just think that's a really nice ending for Harry Sullivan yeah. in this sort of crossover Harry Sullivan firing a machine gun off of a hovercraft that's that's good Harry Sullivan that's good Harry Sullivan so I don't know much but I know my Harry Sullivan and that is good Harry Sullivan he's got the sideburns for he's yeah he perfect he's, he's part of the team it, it works very well yeah. it works really really well and they let's be honest they need a doctor they do yes and probably not the doctor. Harry's a no. much better choice. He actually knows his way around like bandages. But 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 backpedaling slightly, how do you think John Steed and the Fourth Doctor would get on? I think I think John Steed would not know what to make of his friend's new incarnation because like the new Bohemian Doctor is very very not the Third Doctor, but also very seventies. So he could see his friend as changing with the times. Like in the way we've built it, we you know if if John Steed has seen the second and the third, now the fourth. He sees this evolution of, of the mm. character. So I can see him really clashing with him at the start. Like, what happened to you? But by the end being like, oh, you're still, you're still my old friend, but now you're, you're clearly having a lot more fun. You're, yeah, you're young. Lost, and you've lost your fashion sense. You've forgotten my advice again. But Yeah, you look terrible. But, you know, uh, I don't know, try cricket or something. And, and yes, away, exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> and that stays with the doctor again because he's learned to trust John Steed's fashion sense and so by the time the fifth doctor comes around he's an English Edwardian gentleman again because of John Steed this this is turning into a doctor epic this is it's writing itself it never ends and I think for the fifth doctor you just make Steed you just pop Steed into that scene where the fifth doctor is playing uh, cricket he's Absolutely. there He's just, that's, that's all I would do for that it's like he's part of the same club and then I feel you follow up with uh, just after Morgan Undead, where the Brigadier has had his episode, John Steed goes to see his old friend and they have an adventure together where he helps him remember and come out of his nervous breakdown and what have you. And then, you know, the Fifth Doctor pops up and says, ah, John Steed, I see you got my note that your friend would need your help. And there we go. And that's when the, the Brigadier... And the Brig says, oh, yes, I was a maths teacher, you know, at this school. And John Steed goes... Oh, yes, I was undercover at a school once. I'll never do that again. Wink, wink. Never. Yeah, you could have it be that Brigadier was, like, subject to cybernaut programming or conditioning or something. So Steed is, like, one of the only people left who knows how to reverse it and talk him out of it. Get him out of the fog. And that's why the Brigadier was able to retire before or after and before simultaneously his unit adventures. And that explains the unit dating (laughs) confusion. During. Yeah, it's a, yeah. And Doris is John Steed's sister. I don't know. I'm just throwing it in there. Why not? They could be... Oh, you know what? Uh, Yeah, John Steed introduced them. Why not? That's a lovely tie-in. Or it's later. It could be the 80s and Doris is is the new Peel. He's got a new, new, new Avengers. There you go. Yes, the new, new, new Avengers. Exactly. The new old Avengers. (laughs) Doris. That explains why Doris is able to get clearance to be with the Brigadier because she was actually working for the Ministry. And Doris, originally, her name was Purdy and she changed it yeah what if she's Doris Purdy oh that's good that's very good the names have been changed to protect the innocent there you go yeah she's in spy uh, witness protection yeah 
exactly, exactly. There you go, there you go. Right, number six. I do not see these two getting along. But again, as I tend to do when we get to six, I want to see Steed and Evil and Smythe meet. For me, it's it's Evil under the Highway with six most of the time, and this is no you, exception. You, you, um, it's a bit of a dating service you're running for Evelyn. No, I just I think Evelyn is a terribly charming companion. She's 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 like the reason I like the Sixth Doctor. She's so disarming and conversational and uh, intelligent, and I think Steed would find her so just damn charming. I think they'd have a wonderful tea. There's our segue. The Sixth Doctor is jealous that they get on so well. Not not a romantic friss on. But they are, they are charmed with each other. They're just pals. Yeah, they're yeah. talking about history. And like, like because I mean, Evelyn's clearly a historian. And I, I think uh, John Steed would have, uh, he went to Eton. He's he's a British fop. They tend to be all weird about history, aren't they? Mm. Um, uh, so I think they just have a lot of funny chatter about like weird historical stuff and stuff like a lovely tea and scones and the six doctors in the background like fighting a robot waiter that's trying to kill everyone see i like the idea that that, let's say for whatever reason they're in sort of contemporary earth and john steed obviously knows the doctor but doesn't get on so well with this one he and evelyn get on like a house on fire they're talking about history and then the six doctor goes oh you're talking about history you're so impressed with john steed's knowledge of history I'll take you there. And wherever the, whatever era they're talking about, he takes them back in time to that and that gets that's the catalyst for them to get into the adventure in the first place. Like he says, oh, the 60s. Right, fine, let's go. Time rotor starts going. They go back to the 60s. John Steed gets to sort of go back to his heyday. Perhaps they get involved in an old Avengers episode where... Yeah, they do a bunch of near misses. Yeah, they have like to stay in, in the background. Two, yeah, exactly. Like inside an Avengers episode, that'd be awesome. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's there you go. There, and there's there's your nice adventure. You get a nice run around for John Steed, who gets to see, you know, and you end it with him seeing. I don't know. He puts a bag over his head and he can go and talk to Mrs. Emma Peel again one last time without her knowing that kind of a thing. You know, he has a nice moment where he can say goodbye to an old friend, and then yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, of course, the whole time, like Evelyn is charmed by not one but two uh, Steeds. There you go. Up close and at a distance. Like, it all backfires on six terribly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, lovely. For some reason, it has to backfire on six. I think we both agreed on that. It just does. Yeah, he's, he's the hubris doctor. Yeah. So, especially when he's trying to be very, very prideful and very particularly proud of himself, particularly when Evelyn's there. I mean, she's there to tamp that down. You know, she, she gets him in the blue coat. Like, Evelyn is the thing that... There we go. There you we know, go. ...metafictionally fixes six. So, let's let's... We can work that in. Oh, they go to Steed's tailor. Steed. That's, yeah. yeah. Steed, right, here we go. Because you don't necessarily need to have it in the same episode, but Steed is wearing like a light blue, almost lilac suit, very refined, lovely. Evelyn remembers this and says, why can't you, you know, why do you dress like a kaleidoscopic nightmare? And they go back and Steed goes, oh, I know somewhere. I know, you know, I know the place to go. He takes him, they take him there and that's, that can even be a catalyst for adventure. That could be like a follow-up. At the very least... Yeah, I, the, the very end of the, the, the Steed and Six adventure, Steed passes Six a card and Six is like, your card? And he's like, no, my tailor's. Yeah, lovely. Because the thing is, <laughs> Steed at this point is thinking, every other incarnation, he forgets everything I tell him. Yeah, this was the worst yet. He looks like a clown car exploded. I've got to fix this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there you go. Okay, so... Does this still last with seven? Seven is immeasurably better dressed than six, but then so is everybody. So, but he's got the terrible jumper. The jumper um, is the pro- now the ah, there you go. Thank you. 
So whatever we do with Seven, we have this set immediately after the television series and John Steed is the catalyst for him to change into that cream suit with just the white shirt and the red tie that he wore for a lot of Virgin New Adventures. Nice, elegant, simple. He burns the jumper. There you go. Yeah. Soup. Steed, uh, Steed accidentally squirts something out of his umbrella that burns the jumper. There you go. So a superficial detail, but what I feel fits with our overall mega arc, which is John Steed is effectively the fashion consultant for the Doctor. <laughs> he is the Doctor's fashion police. Uh, and again, like right after survival, I think Steed and that era of Seven and Ace. And again, you could get like Old Brigadier. I, I'd love to get Bambera in there and like a summer look. It, it'd be a, it'd be an adventure. Yeah, exactly. Battlefield 2, you know, the steed arrives, something like that. And what we could even have, if we sort of like uh, uh, come up with a team up between unit and the ministry, and we have Bambera as Brigadier's replacement, and then we have, I mean, we're creating a whole new character now, but we have somebody else who steps in. But perhaps even, actually, timeline-wise, it would work out. Let's say the ministry is being absorbed by Torchwood. And, mm. and then we have Torchwood one and we have someone there who is clearly the uh, Sats replacement for John Steed. And you've got the Brigadier and John Steed teaching these new whippersnapper up and comers a thing or two about how to save the world. And that way you've got that. And then you've got, I guess you've got Seven who knows everything that's going to happen and Ace in between that. Yeah, I feel like Seven is the one who set this all up. He, he watchmans them into being friends. Well, yeah, because maybe... He knows how Torchwood will go down a certain path if John Steed and the Brigadier aren't there to sort of say, no, that's not how you do things. And they sort of refine them and, and puts Torchwood down the benevolent path that the Doctor wants them to go down all along. Yeah, but I mean, the Brigadier would still... The core mission of Torchwood is like, we must hunt and kill this Doctor fellow. So he's going to run. He's going to bump into that pretty good. They don't need to know that the seventh doctor is the doctor like maybe yeah. the doctor is there in the back properly in the background being the cosmic chess player and says to the brigadier and john steed they can't know i'm the doctor they don't know this version of me yet you do but here's what we need to do and you know it goes it goes that way i get the feeling ace wouldn't necessarily like john steed that much because he might think he's a bit of a fuddy-duddy i'm not sure yeah uh, there there'd be a real class clash but again it's it's that thing of i could see her being won over by his charm by the end True. Um, well, you, you could also use Bernie Summerfield instead, who I think uh, would like him. Yeah, Bernice would love him. Yeah, if you could do seven, th- I would do like seven Ace and Benny, because hmm. that's an era I've always wanted to see. Yeah, that's um, the dream team. So yeah, that them like a just pre, you know, in that era of Virgin New Adventures. Yeah. Um, getting the suit, doing all the stuff. Yeah, it would fit right in. It'd be a perfect book. So okay, eight. Oh, eight. Uh, eight's always Tricky. tough. It's always tough because you've got to choose which eight you're dealing with. Now, I feel like he would appreciate his fashion sense, just as a superficial detail, because that seems to be a running theme. I feel like he would say, finally, you have remembered my fashion advice. You must get a haircut. Uh... But you you must, you do need short back and sides, dear boy. I didn't have girly hippie locks when I charged a German machine gun place. Oh, did I mention I single-handedly charged a German machine gun nest? I just thought I'd drop that in. Because by this stage, John Steed is... By this stage, John Steed is getting on a bit and he's probably living his greatest hits in his head and he drops those things in. Yeah, I could see, like... Since we started that version of Adventures thing, like, a post-dying days, Benny and Eight going to visit old Steed in the 90s would be great. 
That would be nice. Like like having like a the, the two of them are like kind of uh, uh, kind of overwhelmed or sort of sort of flustered by this old man and his conspira- his conspiratorialness, and then it turns out that everything's real, and they have to help him with some wacky adventure. Yeah. Or oh, what if what if they go to visit Steed, and it turns out Steed is like, I'm trapped in this village, I can't get out, you have to help me, and they think he's crazy, and then the rovers come. Right, you know what? You read my mind. I was about to say, is this a prisoner crossover? That would be brilliant. Yeah. We've actually covered the prisoner in a another episode of another universe and that fits so beautifully that he would go there and yeah that would be really really great i think um plus benny in the village would be hilarious yeah. i didn't even think it oh she would have the best time yeah that, that'd be great so yeah what's like the 90s village what's the village like when it's run down oh you see yeah funding has been cut even amongst evil conspiratorial government branches yeah, like it's you know it's the mid to late nineties. Everything's a little. Everything needs a coat of paint. You know, mm. it'd be cool to see like budgetarily stretched the village. Kind of saggy rovers. You know, number two is it'd be it'd be amazing if the chair turns around and number two is number six. Like it, it just <laughs> all the stuff you could do with that. I, lo- I, I quite like the idea. That I thought you were going to say he comes around in the chair and and the electrics don't work, so he has to sort of pedal with his feet the last couple of feet, so it's all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's he's only doing it by feet at this point. It's just an office chair. It's, it's, it's started off as something quite sinister, and now it's become quite comedic by the end. So I like the idea. Now here's a real twist because when you said number six, I was thinking he turns around. It turns out number one is actually Doctor Number Six. <laughs> This is, I will wear what I want to wear, Steed, and you will suffer for it. Um, <laughs> number one turns around and it's the Valyard. Oh my That'd God. Be... So number one is actually number 14 plus. Six and a half. I was going to say, it's hard to say. It but um, yeah. Okay, so um, so from this point forwards, because we've kind of been following a linear timeline now with, with Patrick Minney, the actor, and John Steed being the same age and being born at the same time. So from this point onwards, I think... John Steed will be so old that we probably have to this is going to sound a bit fatuous considering this is a Doctor Who role playing podcast but we have to start talking about time travel <laughs> because I yeah <laughs> because yeah I think you could do one last check in with the ninth doctor you think just just like about the start of an episode they're having a conversation or playing chess like that would be cool because at this point you either have to hit Steed with a, an alien youth ray clone him or something but he can't really do anything physical and he's really getting up yeah. there in years so as a as a I, I mean this isn't really the ninth doctor but you could have the two of them talking in his retirement home his proper retirement home this time and they're both talking they're both sharing war stories and john steed helps the ninth doctor get over the time war a little bit by saying do you know i once charged a german machine gun nest single-handedly it still haunts me and the Ninth Doctor says, I once blew up uh, uh, my home world and destroyed two civilizations. And they're, sorry, I'm being very glib, but, you know, they help each other deal with things. Like he, like John Steed says, oh, well, your fashion sense could have been worse. I can live with that. You could even have that be John Steed's canonical old age death. You know, he helps his friend, the Doctor, yeah. one last time, not through violence, but through his words. And the ninth doctor sort of like picks himself up and goes, this man did this thing and it haunted him, but he lived with it and he did good. And I've done a terrible thing and I've got to live with it and do good. And then, you know what? And then he goes off to fight the Autons. 
Yeah, I like, yeah, because I always picture the Ninth Doctor as, as being the Doctor who decided to be the Doctor again, you know? It, like, I, I, I am the Doctor, I have to do this thing. So, I, yeah, I like the idea of, if, if we've built this whole epic arc of Steed influencing the Doctor, Steed be the one who's like, you are the Doctor, quit it. Yeah, exactly. Like, He's no point feeling sorry you. You're still you. Yeah. I mean, you're in a jumper and a jacket, and we can talk about it later. But, yeah. like, you need a suit, boy. But, you know, other than that, like, you're still the Doctor. And again, it's because of Steed offhandedly saying you need a suit that the 10th Doctor is in a suit. Yes, there you go. It's all his fault again. There you go. <laughs> you know what? I did not realize before today quite how influential John Steed was on Doctor Who. But it, neither, you know, I, 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 it's an adventure for all of us. Yeah, That's part of the joy. Exactly. And so uh, I, I even think just obviously you couldn't do this in strictly near canon because it's impossible. But I like the idea of the Ninth Doctor getting out a picture of himself as the War Doctor and Steed saying, no, big improvement. At least you don't have that awful faux hawk anymore. And for God's sakes, you know, this leather jacket's <laughs> falling apart. Buck yourself up, dear if boy. If you can't grow a whole beard, don't try. Exactly. Uh, so he's, yeah, he's saying, yeah. A, a huge, massive, gigantic cosmic apologies to Sir John Hurt. Please, please, please. Uh, <laughs> no, I love you, John Hurt. Um, you're the greatest. We love you, you love, so much. That, that, that faux hawk. Know. No. We have yeah, fun. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, we kid because we love. But yeah, so, so this is a pre-Rose thing. Yeah, there you go. And so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's talking to John Steed, his friend, who's yeah. retiring, and he says, uh, and he's talking, he goes, oh, yeah, you're like this, John. There's these plastic aliens that are about to invade Earth, and I just don't know what I should do. Should I get involved again? Because I know I'm going to have to do some violence. You know, I'm going to have to, and I, I just, I can't, don't know if I can face it anymore. And they talk about some other time from the past where John Steed, I mean, let's be honest, you could easily have the Avengers and John Steed taking on the Autons. It would be, it would fit. Oh yeah. So yeah, I think it would be cool if at the end of the conversation, Steed like goes to a wall, opens up a safe and hands nine, the vial of anti-plastic. Yeah. Yes. Like I've got this laying around just in case. And that's where it comes from. You could have the, yeah, the ministry boys knock this up or you could even say, or, or even if you want to not take the agency away from the doctor, say when they fought the Autons in the 60s, uh, he had the anti-plastic, but um, he had two vials. He used one to defeat them, and the other one went missing. And John Steed was basically under orders. If you can get alien tech, you get it. And, you know, he always regretted not telling the Doctor about that through his other incarnations. Um, and he says, you know, I, I, so John Steed thinks, well, this this might help. Sorry, I had to keep it a secret. And he's kept the vial. He didn't hand the vial over to his bosses, but he didn't give it back to the Doctor. And he felt guilty about it. But he didn't actually betray him, and he gives it to him at the end and says, "This is something you, you dropped once. Here you go." And the doctor realizes what it is and goes, "Ah, that's where it went." And again, full circle. Or you have the ministry came up with it and never used it because the Autons weren't an ongoing threat. And so, or you were, if you did that, if you had the ministry doing it, it would have to be quite. Where, uh, it would have to be after the master turned up yeah it'd have to be after the second appearance of the autons because you'd need to justify why they haven't used it so yeah there you go so you've got two avenues yeah. there we prepared ourselves just in exactly, case exactly exactly yeah um 10 i think it feeds nicely to 10 going back to the 60s then too you know taking rose or martha or donna on an adventure to see like the classic swinging 60s spy adventures and it ends up being like yet another wacky sci-fi jaunt. So the companion's like, 
this is robots. This is robots and lasers. You promised me like wacky 60s stuff. Yeah, we wanted to see... Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of like a failed nostalgia trip. Yeah, we wanted to see the Rolling Stones or something, you know, or the Beatles and, and you've... Yeah. And we've got... You brought me yet another bunch of aliens and laser beams. Come on. So I like... I think... I think at this point... Maybe you've got the Doctor realising he's crossing his own timeline and can't tell John Steed who he is. So maybe, yeah. maybe the Tenth Doctor is just John Smith in this, and he's running around. Yeah, it's John Steed, Steed and Smith. Ooh, that's yeah, good. Steed and Smith. There you go. That's the name of the episode. And so it's you know, um, it's that kind of thing. It has to be a covert, and you know, and you know, it's a cliche, but we crank it up a notch. We have whatever female companion is with the Tenth Doctor, Fancy John Steed. I think. I just think that it does. It'd have to be Donna then. It, um, yeah, Rose. I, can't I think Ted and it. Donna and Steed, like Steed and Donna, would be amazing. Yeah, because she's oh. unlike Donna's very modern. In ter- you know, in a way, in a way that the the previous uh, women partners he had were modern for the time. Mm. So I think him dealing with a just totally different person, it would be very funny. I quite um, like Steed and Noble is also a great name. Sorry, say again. Steed and Steed and Steed and that's Noble. That's a lovely name for something. That's the good stuff, right? That's the good stuff. Okay, yeah, I really like that. Uh, but I, I, I just feel that Donna Noble would not be John Steed's speed, not his cup of tea, shall we say? That would be. That's that's what I think would be so funny about it because she'd be so into yeah, him. I think <laughs> it so. would be one of the like. It would be very funny. Like, yeah, I can see. I, I like a bit of posh kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Just Catherine Tate being able to play that. I, I feel like the episode should end though with John Steed giving her a kiss on the cheek. Of course, you know? yeah, and she's just she passes yeah, out, and the doctor exactly. has to carry her back to the TARDIS or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, it'd be it'd be so dreamy. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be that would be really. Now, I know we're not doing. So we're not concentrating on John Steed's psychics, but if he's with the Mrs. Emma Peel, I like the idea of Donna being a bit jealous of her, but also liking her, like a grudging respect, because absolutely because she's yeah. a posh lady, an upper crust lady who kicks kicks ass, and so I quite like the idea of that being a bit of a frisson as well, especially if we have Emma Peel flirting with the Tenth Doctor, and we have like that you know crossed over. Oh yeah, the crossover would be great there. I also think Donna and Kathy Gale would have such a cool energy. That would be good. That would be really, really good. Because um, they, yeah, they both have that kind of directness. Yeah, and yeah, w- you know, I feel like Donna Noble would hate Purdy from the New Avengers with a vengeance. Oh yeah, they wouldn't. I don't think they, they'd be doing pranks on each other the whole yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they'd just be. They'd have like the most like like aggressively sisterly kind of relationship yeah, i think absolutely absolutely yeah um like donna knew somebody like purdy in school and this probably ends up being purdy's kid you know like just this the, that whole kind of yeah th- yeah yeah i could see them not yeah donna and the new avengers i don't think get along terribly well no definitely she doesn't not. strike me as a very 70s person no. But like the '60s thing of the Avengers—that that's a vibe she could get behind, yeah. And if you went all the way back, I mean, Donna Noble hitting on both Steed and like and Keel, or mm. <laughs> Steed and Doctor King. Mm. Like, if you had both the guys, like Donna, surrounded by like dreamy dudes in suits, it would, it would be terrific. We, we, we actually, you know what? We, we forgot to mention this in the history, but just very quickly, uh, John Steed is a very unusual character in sort of pop culture, sci-fi, fantasy history, in that. 
in the first series of the Avengers, in fact, the first two series of the Avengers, he was the sidekick. Um, mm -hmm. And it's only with the third series where the main character, the main actor left, John Steed became the, well, joint co-lead, but he's kind of the lead. Um, and had a series of female psychics. So it's a show that changed its paradigm. But um, it kind of proves that John Steed would be a very good... He, he could do the companion thing. He wouldn't have to take the lead all the time. So Yeah, yeah. He's got room to uh, let the other characters breathe. Exactly. Is, I think part of the reason he, he meshes so well with all these various eras, though. Um, so that brings us on to Eleven. Uh, you got to have Eleven and Amy. Probably Rory's there. Amy's fawning after Steed. Rory doesn't know what to do with himself. Eleven is having a great time with gadgets. See, now, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I re I don't know why, but automatically I had this idea that for some reason, the Eleventh Doctor is trying to tie up some loose end in history. He goes back, infiltrates the Ministry, pretends to be their equivalent of Q, their gadget guy, their science guy. <laughs> sees his old friend John Steed and realizes, oh, this is how my this bit of history ties into this bit of history, and and somehow this all weaves in together. And so, Eleven once again has to sort of like keep a low profile and interfere just enough so that he can help John St and he gets Amy and Rory to help John Steed and um, I think it's got to be Emma Peel. I think because I, I, the Rory fancying Emma Peel just fits because she's quite close to Amy in some ways. Yeah, he's got a type. There's a bunch of jokes yeah. there about that. And yeah. so he has to nudge. He has to kind of play a nurse at seventh version himself. He has to get Amy and Rory and a few suggestions here and there to nudge John Steed and Emma Peel to solve this case so that in the future, another version of himself <laughs> can finish There's it off. There's got to be some scene where they need, where they need Amy and Rory to pretend they're Steed and Peel. Oh, like, that, that is the gem of it. As if you have Amy in the, in one of those ridiculous cat suits and Rory in like the That's suit glorious. and the, the brawly and the hat, and they have to pretend to be Steed and Peel and the real Steed and Peel show oh, up. Oh, that would be good. At the very least, what you do is you have the they land in the sixties and the eleventh Doctor goes right. Okay, and we need to blend him in the ministry. I I know I know someone from this time who's in the ministry, but I cannot. What was his name and what was her name? I don't remember. Anyway, I've got a wardrobe full of stuff. This is how you're blending. Wear this, wear this. And like Amy and I, Rory's like, fine. This is a great suit. I love this. It's classic. And Amy's like, you want me to wear this sort of go-go cat suit thing that glitters? Are you and sure? Rory's like, yeah, you have to blend in. You have to blend in. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. There's so many gags to be exactly. had there. And Rory is like, his tongue's hanging out, seeing his wife in this amazing outfit. And the, doc the length doctor is completely oblivious. And he obviously being completely asexual, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what they wore. It's just the fashion of the time. And yeah. they go in, <laughs> the oh, and there you go. Right, from a previous adventure, you know how the seventh doctor's got his old unit passes under his hat and he, the doctor never throws anything away. He's got an old Steed and Peel identity thing that he just acquired on a previous adventure when, it was, when he was his third self. Gives them to Ramey and Rory and says, go in. I've got my psychic paper. I'll be Professor John Smith, whatever. And they go in and that's how they get alerted to it. And that's how the adventure starts. Like you said, with the the real Steed and Peel come in with their real passes or their current up-to-date passes. And they're like, and then, and ah, and there's the start of the animosity between Peel and Amy where uh, Emma Peel says, I can't believe anyone thought you could pass for me. And because she says it in that voice that she has, 
Amy think, and Amy being Scottish, she thinks it's being condescending. They're about to have a fight, and there's a scene where John Peel and Rory are looking at each other, going, "You know, if this comes to blows," and then one of the two of them says, "We absolutely don't interfere. We let them go at it because they both want to see it happen." Yeah. <laughs> you want a drink? Yeah, I'll get a yeah, drink. Exactly. There you go. Bang. Well, there's another episode written. Big finish. If you want to contact us, um, have at it. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah. Twelve's tricky. T- yeah, I, I. Yeah, I don't know because by this stage, John Steed has to be has to have passed on pretty much in linear terms. Yeah, you would have to. Yeah, I would. I would definitely. We're into the realm of time travel, as you said, but um, thinking about it, I think if I were to have a dynamic to play with, I think. Twelve and Bill and Steed would be very fun. I, I quite like the idea, like giving a different spin on an Avengers sort of story with Bill there. I'm wondering if you you bring our whole mega arc full circle. The Twelfth Doctor and Bill go back to World War Two. You've got a young John Steed stuck in a pillbox, terrified. The Twelfth Doctor is there. John Steed's seen all his friends get killed. And the Twelfth Doctor, through some contrivance of the adventure, gives John Steed the courage to charge that German machine gun single-handedly. That's not his goal, but he knows he's just to go full circle. And if this shell-shocked, scared little guy stays there, he'll never become the John Steed who will save the world on multiple occasions. And so the Twelfth Doctor, through some act, he does something very brave, and so does Bill, that does something, and that inspires John Steed. And as the TARDIS is about to leave or whatever John Steed gets up and goes if I don't do this my whole platoon is dead and he charges across the battlefield and takes out the German machine gun nest single-handedly just as the TARDIS goes warp 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 and disappears and the 12th Doctor goes there you go the circle is complete and everything the 12th Doctor has set at the end of his life because remember the 12th Doctor doesn't really know about I know he knows he's got a new cycle but he doesn't know. Yeah, but he wants to stop. He wants to. Yeah, exactly. He's reached uh, the end. He's reaching yeah. the end of his desire to be alive as a ongoing living person. I, I just have to result. You know, I just want to go back. I, I did it when I was the tenth doctor. I'm going to go back see some old friends. And he realizes he has to resolve this bit of history because the John Steed he knows charged this machine gun emplacement, and there it is. And he's terrified. And the twelfth doctor knows I have to resolve history. All my history of John Steed comes down to this moment. You know, because I want I want to pass on after this. I've had a great life. This is me done. But I need to make sure all of that happens. So I need to give John Steed this little spark, this little bit of bravery, so that he goes and charges this machine gun nest, and he becomes the John Steed that I know, etc., etc. Yeah, T's crossed, eyes dotted. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which, which, uh, uh, unless you've got anything to add to that, that kind of leaves the thirteenth Doctor a bit redundant. I mean, I'd, I'd love to... Uh, I think 13 and the fam bumping into the Avengers on a different adventure, or the new Avengers particularly, would be really funny. I think Graham and Ryan being like, ah, oh, proper spies, and Yaz being like, this is ridiculous, none of this is legal. And 13 <laughs> just kind of along for the ride. Like, I, I, would, I would disconnect it from the wider arc, certainly, and make it more of a... The Doctor's team and the new Avengers have to do some wild thing in the 70s together. I mean, they're very... Well, yeah, how about this? Graham wants to go back and 
Oh yeah, he wants to be James Bond. I want to have a James Bond adventure. He wants a James Bond adventure, and you know, for a bit of a touch, it's when he and his wife started dating. No, wait, that's too late in the day, isn't it? Because Ryan's too young for that. No, wait, Ryan's not. Well, no, because he dated um, Graham. Graham was uh, uh, Ryan's mother's second. Yeah. Husband, so he, right? he wants to go back. Ah, there you go. He didn't know Ryan's mum. No. Wait. What's her name? I can't, well, whoever it was. Grandma. Grandma. The, right. The person, the person that he's married to, who dies in the woman who fell to earth. Okay, his wife. He never knew her when she was young, and he says to the doctor, "Can we go back to the era where she was really young? Because I never knew her then, and I would just like to see her." And that's the segue into the seventies adventure with the new Avengers. That, yeah, that's the sort perfect. of like the, the cold open if you like because the other alternative I could think of was the 13th Doctor and the fam fit quite well with the Sarah Jane Adventures thing that we postulated earlier you yeah, know they, they, they kind of fit because they're kind of very kiddie friendly and everything so you have them drop into that and the 13th Doctor by this stage knows that her 12th Doctor self has resolved the history with John Steed so she can just have fun she's a very light hearted adventure with Sarah Jane who's also passed on and she's just you know she's just having fun it's just a fun adventure yes yeah and he gets a chance to see like a young grace from afar that's her name by the way grace, grace. i remembered Thank it you. uh i definitely did not look it up um <laughs> yeah but i think it would be a good you could do something kind of heartwarming again and and yeah disconnected mm-hmm. from the whole wider thing Yeah, because by this stage or maybe in the course of it uh, the 13th Doctor finds out that Steed had a, a previous adventure with the Fugitive Doctor and that just raises Oh god, why did you say that? It puts everything into question oh, f- that we've ever known. Faction paradox. Um, she finds, oh no, she finds uh, a picture on the mantle of Steed's stud and it's uh, Steed and one of the Morbius Doctors. And we're like, wait, where did he get that tricorner hat? What is that doing there? Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was with you all the way until you said when you said Steed Stud after we promised we wouldn't say it again. And no, no, it's just, I had to. I was already bringing up my my sweet sweet so, Morbius oh boys, dear. so I, I had to just go on. I, I quite like the idea. She's, there's a picture on the mantelpiece, and it's John Steed hanging out in a bar with the Valiard. <laughs> no, it's John Steed and all eight Morbius doctors in a bar together, just chilling out, being canon together. Uh. There you go. And the person, yeah, and the person. The, and, and the person taking the photo you can see in the reflection at the back of the bar is Rassilon and Omega yeah the bartender's the Valyard there you go um, it's just it's the photo from uh, the, you know the painting from the big the, the Virgin New Adventures happy endings but it's all doctors and one John Steed <laughs> I, I was going to say unless there. you really want to and it's all the John Steeds and all the watches. Yeah, it's all the John Steeds and all the doctors. And one of the jo- one of the doctors is John Steed. Um, and John Steed's the doctor, and James Bond is a Time Lord. Exactly. And then it turns out there. If you look- now we can we could now we could if you haven't already driven your car off a cliff. There you, there you are, fair listener. Your reason. And of, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't do it. That photograph is how the untempered schism was formed. Because if you look into yes, that photo, uh, you either uh, run Ruth away, go at mad, it and she remembered. Yeah. Exactly. You look at that photo, and you either go mad, run away, or d- disavow all who, as you may well have done by the. Yeah, she had to break the glass and uh, release the steam. Oh, faction, faction paradox! What have you done? It was all faction paradox all along. <laughs> well, we they made a horse statue come alive, and we almost suffered. We um. 
Well, he certainly did a number on John Steed today. But yeah, it turns out he's integral to the Doctor Who universe. I had no idea. No, I, I, I didn't fathom. But then, you know, we hadn't looked at the uh, impossible photograph until the end of the episode. So Now you can't unsee it. I know. But there you go. We have given you 15 or 16 scenarios for potentially using John Steed in your Doctor Who uh, role-playing game. And if you don't like them, why not? But secondly... Come up with your own. Just, I mean, that's the joy. Just come up with your own, absolutely. But we've given... I think it's fair to say we've given you a lot of food for thought. Now, that might be junk food for thought, but it's food nonetheless. Junk food's tasty. I like chocolate. What are, you, what are we complaining exactly. about? So, um, there you go. Uh, as always, the trading card will be on the blog, as will the gadget cards. Um, Great work on these again, by the way. Really oh, nice. Thank you very much. Um, and so, yes, I think... Uh, We'll leave it in your capable hands, dear listener. Um, Michael, do you have anything you would like to plug? Oh, of course. Uh, please find me on The Game of Rassilon. We are a Doctor Who RPG podcast. Uh, depending on when this comes out, our, th- our third season may have begun. I don't know. Uh, or or it may be 20 years ago. Time. It's weird, right? Uh, but yeah, we're doing our own adventures with our own Doctor, the amazing Riley Silverman. Uh, we recently released a Doctor Who special featuring two Doctors, uh, not only Riley, but also uh, the amazing Joseph Scrimshaw. Um, we're doing our own thing, having a great time. We've fixed Gallifrey. What are you going to do? Uh, you can find us uh, on the socials media at Rassilon Pod, and you can find me at Michael Nixon. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, me. I'm just going to shoehorn myself into that podcast and say, look for my guest appearance in one of their upcoming episodes. <laughs> we don't know, we don't oh, know no. when, but but now I've said it on this podcast, it's canon. So it will have going to have happened <laughs> in the past. <laughs> it's time travel. Um, obviously, wibbly wobbly dicey wicey, but you're listening to this, so you know about that. Uh, I'd also like to plug my philosophy podcast at uh, Decoding Life, where I take philosophical ideas from throughout history and break them down into handy hints and tips for how you can live your life in the modern era. Um, We're on all the social medias at Decoding Life One on Twitter. That's the number one. Uh, And you can find us there. So if you like to scratch your head, that's the podcast to listen to, because believe me, it's more pretentious than this one. That's, That's wow. Okay. Probably less niche, though. Philosophy is less niche, so nicely done. N- not the way I philosophize. Faction paradox. Well, it's le- most things are less niche than Doctor Who. It's just, it's like a niche inside of a niche inside of a valise. Especially the way we do it. It's, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All the Morbius boys are nodding in agreement. Exactly. So, um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Michael, and thank you very much for listening. And we will see you again soon in the future past. Never was going to have been. Hello and goodbye at the same time. Thank you for listening to Wibbly Wobbly Dicey YC. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Feel free to get in touch with any questions or suggestions for future episodes, either on Facebook, by email, wwdwrpg at gmail.com, or by Twitter, at wwdwrpg. 